Dear friends, as we gather together, I'm going to invite you to please pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, you promise that you will accomplish the purpose for which you send your word. I ask that you work again in our hearts and our souls as we need your gifts. Give us the gift of perspective and peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning, church family. It is good to be back. And again, I've been gone uh, two weeks on vacation, and one of the things I've noticed is how good it is to be back home. Does anyone ever have that experience? It's good to be back. And I want to tell you a little bit of what was happening while I was away. Um, This very last week, I had a chance to be in front of 2,000 teens and speak to them. It was our Wells International Youth Rally. I have a picture for you here. And here I was. I brought Goliath with me. Goliath is here, and I would reveal him later. I got to talk to 2,000 teens on what it was to have courage. And I think the Lord blessed it. It sure was a privilege and an opportunity. And I was not the only keynote speaker. What I wanted to share with you is the story of the keynote speaker I heard after me. It was the story of Steve and Sarah Schrader. Here's a picture of Steve and Sarah. Um, Steve, uh, he worked in our armed forces, and uh, has anyone here um, have served in the military or is currently serving? Uh, anyone raise a hands? Raise a hands, has served, currently serving. Can we just give a round of applause? <laughs> this week as we celebrate our independence, we understand that freedom is not free. And many people have paid much, and some have paid it all. And Steve Schrader was uh, in the Army, and uh, he flew helicopters. He thought that that would be a a pretty cool thing to do. Um, The sacrifice that their family had is it seemed that every time they have a baby, he would be deployed. So have a baby, be deployed, have a baby, be deployed, have a baby, be deployed, have a baby, be deployed. How many babies was that if you were counting? Four. Four times that happened, right? And can you imagine, she said as a bride, I I never thought on my wedding day I'd have basically four years by myself waiting for my husband to return from deployments as I was watching over the kids. That's what she spoke of. They they often thought of their life in in the armed forces as either going one of two ways. Either uh, Steve would have to pay it all and, and give the ultimate sacrifice, be called to heaven in service for the country, or that he would return safely and they could continue on with their earthly plans and dreams. In fact, they had earthly plans and dreams that he would be a captain someday after he was a helicopter pilot, and, and he would be the one saying, you know, buckle up, we're going to get uh, the altitude so far and so much, and I don't know what captains say, but that's what they say. That's what they sound like anyway. That was his life, right? Until it was about a year ago in January, where they're at home doing a regular exercise, a regular military exercise, It was an exercise where they were trying to throw ropes off the helicopter to let the soldiers down and then release the ropes. Fairly simple. Where the army told the wife, anyway, that there was a mishap. The plane went down. One of the fuel cells exploded. And the soldiers who were let down had to rescue Steve as he was still in the helicopter, had to to, to drag him out of that helicopter. Steve remembers the experience of silence, where he thought he was dead because he heard nothing. And as there was silence, there was something that he noticed. He couldn't feel his legs. He couldn't move them, couldn't feel them. And sure enough, 
He was brought into the ICU. He was there for 10 days. His wife was all alone just waiting for the word. Couldn't be let in until after 10 days. He had a laundry list of things that went wrong. Um, he had nine broken ribs. He had uh, some brain damage. He had a sprained ankle, which he laughed at. He's like, out of all the things he had to tell me, I had a sprained ankle. Uh, he had uh, uh, burns, and sure enough, from the waist down, was paralyzed. Broken his spine. And this was not something they had ever planned for. See, see they were just thinking it's either all or nothing. Either I'm going to be called to heaven or I'm going to safely return. They, they had never thought of this circumstance. What was amazing is Sarah, the wife's confession. Because some people would approach Sarah and they would tell Sarah things like, you know what, you, you never signed up for this. I, I'm so sorry for you. And, and I'm sure they were well-intentioned as they said that. You know, you never signed up for this to, to take care of someone who is in a wheelchair, to, to, to pay this price. But Sarah, in a remarkable confession, said, actually, I did sign up for this. You see, when we took these Christian wedding vows, we said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health. I, I did sign up for this, and it was amazing to hear of her commitment as she watched over her husband, as she navigated the new normal. And you know what I got from Steve? His confession was this idea that we are not owed anything. See, Steve reminded me that often as I live, as I act, as, as I have what I have, I take for granted all the blessings. I take for granted what it is to, to breathe and to walk and to speak and to sing, to eat. I take for granted, and sometimes, and, and maybe if you're real with me, we take for granted all these things that God has given. In fact, maybe we even think that we are owed them. And Steve would tell us, no, you are not owed these things. God, in his grace, has given you these things. And that's what we heard in our first lesson. Let me remind you of the words of the first lesson where it said, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the, can you say that word, coming down from the, from the Father. See, we have Dad on our side. And if you right now have something good, if you have food to eat, a house to go back to, if you can speak, if you can walk, if you can sing, if you can enjoy God's creation, you need to know these things were not owed to you. These things are yours by grace because we have a good, good father who loves to lavish his kids with many good things. And that's what we're going to talk about as we consider the book of Job. Ready to get into it? I, I'm really excited about starting a new series with you over the summer on Job. And the reason I'm so excited is because this has to do with suffering, if you know the book of Job. And I, I, would, I would permit to you that in Christian America, we do not handle suffering well. Would anyone give a head nod to that? We do not handle suffering well. And I don't know why. I have conjecture. My conjecture is that affluence doesn't really help us. With affluence, we think maybe we can create enough safety, enough convenience that, that, that we can have utopia here on earth. Um, I, I consider pastors who go to third world countries, you don't have to remind them that heaven is not on earth. You don't have to tell them to hope for heaven and that being a better day. They're already there, friends. So, so I'm not exactly sure how we got here, but I do know that we do not handle suffering well in general. Broad strokes here. 
And what I love about the book of Job is maybe we can wrestle with suffering in this summer, summer sermon series. And maybe by the Spirit of God, we can make some progress when the valleys come and the dark days come and things that we thought were owed are taken away. And one of the things that I think will help us is just this principle. So I'm going to give it to you right away. You don't even have to wait to the end. I'm going to give you one principle that is, I think, so very helpful. As I was studying for this sermon, I heard from Charles Swindoll, who had a statement that I believe in. Uh, he said this, When you understand that everything you have is on loan, you are better prepared to release it when the owner wants it back. When you understand everything, your car, your house, your clothes, your health, your kids, your 401k, your plans for the future. I could go on, couldn't I? When everything is on loan and you recognize this, then we understand if he takes it back, it was his anyway. So the first thing, because suffering, I believe, has to do with loss. The essence of much of our suffering has to do with a loss of something, a loss of pleasure, a loss of food, a loss of an ability, a loss of a person. When we understand this, that the best response in time of loss is with open hands. It just wasn't owed me. Lord, you have the right to put something in my hands. You have the right to take something away, but it was all yours anyway. And that's what we want to talk about as we dig into the story. Now, as we get into Job, I just want to raise a hand. How many of you ever heard of this guy named Job? Uh, raise a hands. Okay, most hands. Others of you are confused that we're going to talk about jobs. We're not talking about jobs in this series. It is Job. And um, a little bit about the book. Um, we, we don't know who the author is. Um, we, we know that he lived in the B.C.'s. Uh, commentators say between 1,000 or 2,000 B.C., some say a contemporary of Moses. Um, uh, people have looked at this book, and they said it is some of the best literature that has ever been written. In fact, uh, a French poet, Victor Hugo, he said it's been the greatest masterpiece of the human mind. Now, I actually think that the spirit was behind it. We believe in um, how God inspired his word, preserved his word, and that's what we're actually here from. But, but it's a masterpiece. Uh, Martin Luther, he said it is both magnificent and sublime, which if you know Luther, I don't think he uses sublime very often, but he used sublime for, for this book. And I guess what I really love is it's so relatable. I think everyone finds themselves in a piece of Job's story at one point or another. It is so relatable and, and so much that we can draw from today, whether it be about God's grace or the hope that Job has. And that's what we get to explore together in these moments as we open God's word and we just hear from the Spirit. So let's turn to it. I, I, um, I was thinking sometimes of like, you know, how do I cut this up and make it manageable for you to eat and consume? And I'm like, no, you need it all. So we're, we're going to do 22 verses that we're going to read. Um, and so again, I'll try not to lose you, but, but I just didn't want to lose anything. I, I wanted to give it to you all as we explore the word of God. And as we get into it, it's kind of like going to a play and knowing how the play is going to go down. In fact, we, we kind of get the behind the scenes, the director's notes of what's going to happen in this story. So let's get there. And you can follow along either in your worship folder. It's uh, printed out for you. You can follow along either on the screen, whatever works best for you. You ready? Head on. All right. Here we go. All right. So it says, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. 
He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. Now, a lot of that is noise to us, but basically it's saying he is Warren Buffett, right? He's got a lot of stuff, and that makes him great. He's a rich, rich, filthy rich man. He's been blessed. It says his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. They would invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Earlier in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. That's significant. I was just like, really? The angels do this? That's kind of crazy, right? And look who was there. Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Uh, if you ever want uh, a reason for integrity, here it is. Does God know what Job's character is like? Absolutely. Does he know what we're doing in the dark? If you want a reason for integrity, and I love that he's actually proud of Job, isn't he? Consider Job blameless and upright. I think it's pretty cool. So God sees. But Satan replies, does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and now it uncoils. Now the story starts. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... Another messenger came to him and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, oh my goodness, this gets bad. Yet another messenger said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. After hearing all this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell down the ground in worship and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the powerful word of God. If you could, could you turn to your neighbor next to you and tell them, may God bless you with open hands. May God bless you with open hands. May he bless you with open hands.
Let me know if you had this experience. Someone was really nice to you, really interested in you, but it was only because they wanted something from you. You ever had that experience? Uh, uh, Nod. They were really nice, really kind, interested in your life and your family and your kids, but it was only because they wanted something from you. Can I tell you my story with salesmen? See, I have kind of a, a kind demeanor, right? In fact, I, I recognize that even salesmen have a job to do. So when I talk to a salesperson, if they are nice to me, I am in general nice to them. I smile. We talk about life. They're interested in my life, my church, my dog, my cat. I don't have a dog. Anyway, uh, they're interested in my life. And I am the same. And it is all good. It's a fairy tale story. We're dancing. We're, we're, we're being nice to each other until I don't buy what they want me to buy. Until I say, we don't have the money. Until I don't give them what they want, and you would be amazed how the situation changes. Because many times people take my kind demeanor as if I am actually loaded with money and interested in their product. But no, I am just kind. And what that means is that I have had many very disappointed salespeople who have changed the tone of their voice and the very conversation because I did not give them what they wanted, nor could I. Do you know what I'm saying? And this can happen not only with salespeople, and again, I'm not against all salespeople, it just happens. Um, this can happen also when you're in a relationship with someone, if you're dating someone. And, and when a man doesn't get from a woman what they want, or a woman doesn't get from a man what she wants, then someone can break it off and call it off because, again, uh, they're more interested in, in what they can get rather than the person themselves. Now, now when this happens, when someone is more interested in what they can get from you than, than who you are, I believe that is the essence of manipulation. Manipulation is this idea that, that I want to use people for my own ends. I want to get something from them. I think manipulation was illustrated beautifully in, in the story called The Greatest Showman. Has anyone seen The Greatest Showman? If you haven't, we need to have a movie night. It's really good. Really good music. Okay. But, but we have the story of a man called P.T. Barnum who wants to make a name for himself because he grew up as the poor son of a tailor. And P.T. Barnum is on his quest, and he will use almost anyone and anything to have a superior name. I consider how he went from a circus, and, and, and he was wondering, how do I get in with the hoi polloi, or, or with the hoity-toity, I'm sorry, with the high class, with the highbrow, with the, the white collar? And he met this gal who had one of the beautiful, most beautiful voices in the world. And, and, and he asked if this gal would come and sing as, as he promoted her. And here was this gal. And, and, and if you've seen the, the, the movie, she sang beautifully. And then, she, then he asked, can we go on tour together? As you're getting me in with the highbrow and in with the white collar. And they went on tour together. But then it broke apart because she wanted something he was not willing to give. She wanted a romantic relationship. He was already married, so it's good that he broke it off. But that's where it ended. I consider it th this is an example of manipulation. Also, I think of the, the story of the, the younger, the prodigal, in the story of the prodigal son. He wanted to use the father, not because he loved the father, but because of something the father had. Do you remember the beginning of the story? Let's go back to the beginning. It says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the state. So he divided his property between them. He just wanted what the father had. He didn't want the father. 
You're asking in your mind, Pastor, where are you going with this? Well, don't worry, I have a point for you. Sometimes, would you admit that in our approach to God, we want him to be a cosmic vending machine. We want to know, God, what prayer can I say? What thing can I do so that you will release the starburst into my life? So that you will release what I am looking for, bring it down here, just tell me the prayer, tell me the button, tell me what I got to do so that you will act like my great cosmic vending machine pouring out exactly what I want. But friends, that isn't true love for God. That is love only for the things that God can provide. Now what does this have to do with the story of Job? When we meet Job in this story, on this day, how much is God giving to Job? How is the cosmic vending machine working out for Job? Not so well. As we meet Job, it's not what he's getting from God, it's what's being taken away. Again, just just look over verses 13 through 19. The oxen, I guess we could sum that up by just saying he lost all his stuff. And then his children, and and I can't imagine losing one child, I I can't imagine losing ten child, ten children, all in the same day. And then my mind goes to, like, it's something if, like, you know, I get something stolen because I didn't lock up my car at night and I left it in the driveway. If you leave your car out in the driveway and you don't lock it up, chances are something might get stolen. I can understand that. Or I can understand that when someone is old, they're 80 years old, they have cancer, they've lived a pretty good life, and they have a disease that will probably take them. I understand when someone who is 80 with cancer gets taken. I understand that. It's another thing completely when it comes to my car. If I saw fire come down from heaven and burn up my car, I might pause and be like, this is not a good day. I might pause a little bit more if wind took not only one child, but took all of my children in the prime of their life. Wind! This is a bad day for Job. Job is experiencing loss. The cosmic vending machine is not working well for Job. And yet, what does he say? One of the most famous lines that we get to consider, a line that I bet you probably heard before you came here today, Job's response into all of this is phenomenal. Because Job says this, he says, So naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave With an open hand I received, the Lord took away because I had an open hand again, and may the name of the Lord still be praised. On the day of blessing, the Lord gives, you're good. On On the day of loss, Lord, you took away, you're still good. And now we wrestle with suffering. Are you ready to wrestle in a powerful way? Here is suffering's unique opportunity and why God might permit it. God might permit suffering because in no other time in life can we praise him just for who he is rather than what he gives. Can I say it again? He might permit suffering because in those days of loss, the only thing we can praise him for is what he is rather than what he gives. And that is the essence of true love. 
to love someone just for who they are rather than what they can do for us. To have a shred of this unconditional love that was actually authored by God. And so here it is. Suffering gives a unique opportunity to praise God, not for what he can give, but simply, simply for who he is. That's a good thing. Because isn't it true that we will have seasons? One of, my, one of my favorite teachings in Scripture is about seasons of life. I think there's so much wisdom in seasons. And as I was away, I, I learned again, and I, I read again from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where Solomon speaks of seasons. And it was Solomon, not the birds, who talked about a time for everything, a time, a time, a time. And, and some, some of you older folks know what I'm talking about with the birds. But anyway, um, and, and what did Solomon say about seasons and a time? He said, there is a time to tear down and there is a time to build. And then you look at the natural trajectory of humans. As we come into this world, we're going to be building for a while, won't we? That naked baby doesn't stay naked. No, we clothe the baby, we feed the baby, grows up, gets stronger, wisdom and stature. Sometime the baby gets a room of their own, sleeps at night, that's a great stage to be at. They get a little bit older, get a car of their own, they get a little bit older, they get a, a wife of their own, a family of their own, a husband of their own. They get a little bit older, a career of their own. Some of your parents are really happy about that, so they're not in the basement lifting off of you anymore. A career of your own. They get, a, a, they're again, a, own, own opportunities, their own house, their own livelihood. And that happens for a while that in the course of human history, we are just building. But somewhere along the timeline, it starts going the other way, doesn't it? Somewhere along here, we start losing some health, and we start losing some family, and we start losing some friends, and we start losing some wealth, and losing career, and losing a home, and losing a car, and losing, and losing, and losing, and when is God good? When it's going up or when it's going down? And the answer is both. He was good in every season. The Almighty God who is with you, who never left you, who never forsake you, who even works your bad for your good. It was good in every season, in the season of gain, in the season of loss, when the time was to build and when the time was to tear down. He was still a good father. I was reading more from Ecclesiastes, and this one struck me. And I didn't want to highlight because I'm not sure I like the wisdom, but there is so much wisdom I'm going to share it with you anyway. I, I rejected it at first, if that makes sense, because I'm a sinful guy. But, but here is the wisdom. It, it said, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. He knows the dark days, the valleys. He knows the hills and the mountaintop experiences and when you got the warm fuzzies and everything's going your way and he's still good in the midst of it all. Which is why Job is such a phenomenal role model. Because in the day of loss, and no one has lost more than Job ever lost. No one had lost to that degree. In a day of tremendous loss like the, the world, like no one's story had ever matched or mirrored, he still praised God. And when I see his example and I consider my own life, I'm led to repentance. I'm led to the understanding that I am not yet like Job. That I got a, some work to do in my dark days. I got some work to do in the valleys. I got some work to do on the days of loss. I got some work to do in my heart and my spirit. 
to know that God is still good and still there in those days. If you want to know someone even better than Job, his name is Jesus. But consider Jesus' life. Jesus, who loses everything, for whose sake? For you and I. So that we can gain riches like we've never known and riches that we were sure not entitled to. He loses his very life so that we could benefit, so that we who were poor could be made rich as sons and daughters of God. This is Jesus willing to lose so that we could gain. And I forever and for a long time preached that the sweetest gospel is Romans 5 verse 8. Romans 5 verse 8 that says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. What does this mean? When we had nothing to offer God, we could benefit him none. He couldn't manipulate us for his own use. We had nothing to give him. Actually, all we gave him was grief. When we were sinners, he gave everything. He lost it all. So that you and I could understand this unconditional love that I was talking about. To love him just for who he is rather than what he gives. In the dark days, in the high days, when there's abundance, when there's not enough, to love him in all of it because that's what he did first. He's a good God. He's with us. But there's more to learn from Job's story. There's more to learn and to turn to uh, what we can learn next, uh, I wanted to know how many of you ever seen A League of Their Own? We were doing uh, some texting with our family, and they're like, what, what's a good family movie? A League of Their Own is up there. Tom Hanks. And, and there was, a, there was, a, mo- there was a, a scene that sticks out in that movie for me. When, when Tom Hanks was bellyaching, he was rough around the edges. Can we, it's, it's fair to say he was rough around the edges. Uh, when he was bellyaching about how the, 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 the ladies were acting in baseball. In fact, he was giving assignments, and uh, does anyone... Uh, Remember what happens here? There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. And he has just a fit. He has a fit because he knows that when it comes to the emotions that God gave, uh, those emotions should not be used on the field, right? Got pretty upset about that. It reminds me when I was in football, we, we took our football photo, and, and some guys were like, no smiling. There's no smiling for the football picture because we are tough. Mm. It's a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, I'm so tough. Mm. And sometimes people want to project our appropriate emotions. People will consider that we should act a certain way when it comes to a certain situation. And now let me put a Christian nuance onto this. Sometimes in our grief, when the down days come and the dark days come, we often or sometimes might think that we should not be a mess. We should hold it all together. We should be smiley because that's what everyone wants from us. And obviously we know rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm smiling and it's a great day. But what had happened to Job? What did Job do? He is a mess. Look what happens. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. Job lost it, right? He lost it, yet he's in worship. He lost it. He showed the full bevy of emotions. 
And yet it says that he didn't sin. It says later, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In all of this, he was still blameless to this point. And so what I learned is this. It is not sinful when I show emotion if I'm having a rough day. In fact, as we come together as a church family, and if we want to walk together, I don't think that will mean every day is a smiley good time. Some days we're going to need to do what Scripture says and weep together. And I want you to know if you come together and you want to weep together, that's okay. You're not less of a Christian because you're going through some tough times. Other days we might rejoice together and we'll laugh and we'll talk about the blessing and the bounty of God. Other days we'll cry. And here too we see Jesus. You remember what happened when Jesus was, when, when Lazarus was taken from earth. And Jesus knew he was going to rise again. Yet that shortest passage, Jesus wept. Remember what happened when he went to the temple and he was upset with the money changers. Jesus got angry. Now it's hard for us to have righteous anger like he had, but he showed anger could be righteous in circum, cer certain circumstances. Jesus with his disciples, when they didn't understand what he was teaching, got frustrated with them. You still don't get it? Ah! Jesus had anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what it was to have stress, and stress to the point that he was sweating drops of blood. He showed the whole bevy of emotions and yet did not sin against his God. And so again, it is not sinful for us to again be emotional. It's not sinful for you to cry or to have a bad day. Not sinful for you to experience all the things that God made you to experience in this world. It's okay. But there's more. There's still more. And I think the next thing we see is that in times of suffering, it is almost a knee-jerk reaction to ask why. And so it's hard because we know we shouldn't ask why, but it's like so intuitive. I don't know if that's a sinful nature, but when we suffer, it's almost intuitive that we would ask why. And sometimes we have pad answers or we have proposals for why the why happened. For example, I remember Hurricane Katrina, and it hit New Orleans. And do you know why some theorized it hit New Orleans? Because obviously they're more sinful than we are, Right? I mean, if you've been to Bourbon Street, if you've heard of this thing called Mardi Gras, right? If you know that they are Satan worshipers and they're drunks and blah, 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 because there's no sin in Chicago. No, no, we are just so clean here. No governors in jail at all. We got it all figured out. Those sinful people deserve it. Job teaches us. That when it comes to the why, we should not propose anything, nor should we have bad answers. Well, don't you know that good people get good things and bad people get bad things? That's, that's worldly rationale, but it isn't what Job is teaching us at all. Because Job is having a horrible, terrible, no good, rotten day, and yet we still know the character of Job. What does it say about Job? It says... In the land of us, there lived a man who was named Job. This man was, say this word, blameless. 
not a perfect dude, but what, what Scripture is saying is that there is nothing that he did that should cause such a day. Nothing that he did that should cause such a day, and yet the day came. He was blameless in spite of his circumstances that were anything but good. It reminds me of another dialogue in the New Testament. This was picked up again. Uh, the disciples came across someone who was born blind. And you know what the disciples asked? They said, Rabbi, who sinned? Because that's what they assumed. That was their pat answer. Someone must have sinned to be in that circumstance um, that his was it his parents that he was born blind. And the answer? Jesus didn't give one. And you know what's really crazy about this book of Job? And I, I don't even want to steal it. But when it comes to the, the, that question, Why? We don't get one. Isn't that crazy? Job never gets the why. The only thing he gets is why not. And you know why it didn't happen? As a direct correlation to his sin. So what still remains, and this should give some people hope, because maybe the devil has been getting you down. You thought your circumstance was for your own doing. No, sometimes it has no correlation to what you did. You can suffer in ways that have nothing to do with your sin. Nothing to do with your sin. Now, sometimes we will suffer because of our sin. If I steal at work and I get fired from my job, I'm suffering directly because of my sin. But in a myriad of other cases, and I would say probably the majority of other cases... Our suffering and our circumstance and the things that, that wreck us the most have nothing to do with the direct correlation to how sinful or how righteous we were. And that's what Job proves. But there's a better Job named Jesus who proved that too. Jesus was superiorly blameless. The Son of God tempted in every way and yet found without sin. And yet he was the same one who was familiar with sorrows, a man of suffering. That Jesus proves that you can suffer in ways not even thought possible, even though being righteous. And I remind you, he did that out of love for you. And I remind you, you were the joy at the other end of the cross. I remind you, you meant that much to him. And before you could ever love him unconditionally, he loved you first. And he's not leaving you. And he calls you his child. And he reminds us that someday suffering ceases. There's a clock on suffering. That season will end. But joy it will never cease. Joys will be forever by his side. Sin will not get in the way. It will not destroy. And that is you and I, what we get to inherit because of Jesus, the better Job, who suffered more than Job, so that we could be set free. But we're starting to see the complexity, the complexity of this concept called suffering. Because I don't have an answer to why the devil is allowed to attack. I don't. I don't know if you do. Did you get it? I, I didn't get an answer to why the devil is allowed to attack. And I know that God is above all things, and, and there's this weird dichotomy of where I know he doesn't cause my suffering, and I know he doesn't delight in my suffering, but, but here's a weird dichotomy, and this is for you meaty people, you want some meat today, he still is allowing it. 
I, I get that he still is allowing it, though he's not the cause of it, and my mind doesn't know exactly what to do with that. And, and Charles Swindoll, he said that too. He said, nothing touches your life that is not first passed through the hands of God. So God, again, I know you're not delighting in my suffering. I, I, I know you didn't cause it, but, but for some reason you permitted it to pass through. And I don't have the answer for you. And Job would tell you, I, w- I, was never given, I was never given the answer. So the most bravest thing I, I could encourage you to be is humble. Is to humble yourselves before the Lord because he will still be the God in heaven who does what pleases him. And in the face of all you do not know, go with what you do know. Back to Steve Schrader. Steve Schrader is not able to walk. We don't know if he ever will. He's in rehab. At the end of his keynote, he was standing again. So maybe with the help of therapy, he will be able to make progress in that endeavor. And he didn't know why the mishap happened. We won't have the answer. But he did know certain things. He shared with us the promises that got him through. The promises that he chose to cling to were Romans 8.28. Some of you know it. For we know in all things God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. In all things he works for our good. And there was another thing that stuck in his mind is this psalm that says, Be still and know, be still and know that I am God. May God give you the confidence that you have someone who loved you unconditionally first. May he give you the peace knowing you don't have to know all the answers and just let it go with what you do know from God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I knew this topic would be heavy because suffering is real. And Lord, I just, I just hope that in a supernatural way you could calm the hearts of your people to trust in you. Let us humble ourselves and know that you are good Know that you are for us and with us even when we experience loss and suffering. Help us to be lights as we praise your name in the hills and in the valleys and everywhere in between. Give us strength to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.